Good morning, brothers and sisters. This is a day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I am Mark Hedegar. I'm blessed, honored, and humbled to be the pastor at Salisbury Center in Middleville, United Methodist Churches, where we expect miracles, recognize miracles, and celebrate miracles together. I have several announcements, as always. Uh, we're still pushing invitation cards, so if you need one, get a hold of me. Uh, we did the 3x5 index card Sunday, and it was wonderful. So many people brought in scripture and wrote it on the cards, and then we uh, had everybody take one when they went home and ask them to pray over them, pray over who might have written them, because we didn't, you know, we don't know, but the Holy Spirit does. And now this week, they're going to bring that card back with a new card, another one that they made up. So I am really excited. People are getting the word uh, into their hearts, into their minds, and... Um, God is good. This Saturday, men's breakfast, Salisbury Center, 8 o'clock. Bring, uh, bring a Bible if you're coming and uh, bring an appetite. Thursday night, a reminder, uh, the 30th of June, Pastor Jack Ford will be here at 6 o'clock to discuss the options with the uh, disaffiliation process, whether, whether churches want to stay with the United Methodist Church or go, go towards a Global Methodist Church, or maybe even uh, go non-denominational. So, and the final thing is, uh, we're looking forward to a bonfire. Uh, they're working together, and they're going to build a pit out here, and we're going to start doing a bonfire maybe once a month to get it going. <clears throat> Excuse me, to see how it goes. So, pretty excited about what's happening in our local churches. This morning's memory verse comes from Colossians three twelve. Therefore. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the grace of life and the opportunity to come to your presence today. We come together in unity of faith and we agree. Let everything be bound, be bound in heaven and let everything we lose be loosed in heaven. Together we come against every evil gathering concerning this service. They shall be confounded and destroyed. They shall plan, but it shall come to naught. Let us go home today with spiritual and physical blessings and let everyone glorify your name in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please join me in the call to worship. God is a God who calls. We have gathered to worship and to hear that call. God is a God who equips. We are here to worship and to be shaped into the body of Christ. God is a God who sends. We are here to worship so that we can carry that spirit of worship out into the world where we live. God is a God who blesses. We are here to worship and to request a double share of that blessing. Let us worship God. Amen. This morning's Lady Scripture comes from Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, enslaved and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We move to uh, joys and concerns and testimonies. I, I'm kind of excited. I'm hoping we get a couple testimonies over those, over those three by five cards uh, from last week. I can tell you, uh, one of mine, one of the cards I got was talking about being faithful and in the little things, and we'll be given even bigger things. And I and I know that was intended for me because um, I want to be faithful to my churches. Oh, obviously, faithful to Jesus, but I want to be faithful to my churches as as we make some pretty tough decisions about. Uh, where we're going to go with the Methodist Church. So um, I strive and, and pray to remain faithful. So I'm glad I got that card. Concerns, I know there's a lot going on. We we have a whole bunch of people lifted in prayer. Joys, we've got couples that are coming off of COVID. Thank God they tested negative. They're good. <clears throat> and personally, I look out my office window here and I've got my male and female cardinal all morning. I've got two rabbits out here eating and cleaning themselves. And uh, it's just beautiful to hear them singing. <coughs> Excuse me. So whatever your joys and concerns are this morning, uh, just give them to the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we struggle to manifest the fruits of the Spirit, but often find ourselves bound by works of the flesh. We know the whole law is summed up in the single commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we create fences around ourselves to keep neighbors outside and tell ourselves we have no responsibility. Even in our own backyard at times, we bite and devour one another. We wish it were different. We desire to be more centered on you, but we stumble in our walk. 
Help us to overcome our flesh and be filled with your spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us and calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. For it's you who loved us and gave up your life for our salvation. There are so many people who need your healing power today. In the name of Jesus, we bind up all sickness and diseases, and we set loose the healing power of the Lord. We pray for your favor upon those who need medical operations, and we pray that you touch everyone who's been lifted up today. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Bear with me, my throat's a little ticklish today. I just got done doing a graveside ceremony. I might have talked too much today. But the title to today's message is Foolish, Faithless, Heartless, and Ruthless. Foolish, Faithless, Heartless, and Ruthless. And no, they're not for the seven dwarfs. Last week we spoke on the tarnished reputation of our denomination. We suggested that although part of the blame fell on congregations and how they treat each other, the brunt of the responsibility must fall on the denomination itself. We learned our denomination has experienced a decrease in membership every single year since 1964. Specifically, 4.5 million people have separated from the UMC. I also suggested more would continue to distance themselves from a denomination that ordains drag queens as pastors that preach God is nothing, the Bible is nothing, and religion is nothing. Brothers and sisters, I call that blasphemy in my book. What I didn't mention last week was that this so-called preacher goes by the name, you ready for this? Pentecost. Pentecost. Mark 3, 29 warns us, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. The gender revolution that's been taking place in our culture for the last 50 or 60 years is not only impacting how people view themselves, but how they view God. During my licensing school, I had instructors who continually referred to God as she or her. We should worship God because she is all-powerful. We should love our Father God because of her mercy and grace. But 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God. So, if we believe the Bible is God-breathed or God-inspired then the words used to describe God must be his own words. Now, there are Old Testament passages that describe God as a woman in labor, a nursing mother, and even a comforting mother. But they're not meant to suggest that God's a female. They're simply communicating truths to us about God through that imagery, the imagery of a loving, caring mother. These comparisons in no way encourage the use of the term mother to describe him, or use the words she or her when referring to him. If we were to conclude God is a woman based on those passages, then perhaps we should also conclude that God is a rock. God is a rock, physically. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock 
His work is perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God, without deceit, just and upright is he. So, we can assume that God is a rock off of that verse? It's ridiculous. The pronouns and verbs used in the Bible to describe God are always masculine. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, not our mother, who art in heaven. In the Old Testament, God appeared many times in human form as a male. And of course, Jesus, the Son of God, is presented as being male in both his pre- and post-resurrection body. Not once do we read of God appearing in female form. From front to back, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's consistent in teaching the maleness of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So enough with the nonsense. Enough with the confusion. 1 Corinthians 15.45 reads, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. God has chosen to reveal himself in mostly male terms throughout the Bible, and specifically as a male in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the last Adam, not the last Edna. No offense to the Ednas out there. God warns us about manipulating the Bible in his word in Isaiah 5.20. It reads, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Brothers and sisters, we've all grown up with the advice to turn the other cheek when we're attacked. But I don't recall how many times we're called to do it. Our denomination has been turning the other cheek and turning a blind eye to the blatant disregard of biblical truths and outright violations of its own book of discipline for far too long. I thank God that our bishop has remained true to both, but that's obviously not the case with other bishops in our denomination. And now we all suffer the consequences of not taking a stand earlier. Not only has 4.5 million people exited the denomination, but nearly every conversation I have now involves a discussion of the actions and future of the United Methodist denomination. Well, how convenient for the enemy. You see, if we spend the majority of our time making excuses or, or defending the denomination, we spend less time in the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus Christ and the good news. The enemy has created enough confusion and dissension within our denomination to not only cause people to separate themselves, but for literally hundreds and hundreds of church bodies to leave. And they either aligned with another denomination or some remained non-denominational. I often wonder through all this how many people drive by our churches on their way looking for a church, but avoid us like the plague because of all the negative attention in the news. As for me, I'm done turning the other cheek, and I'm done being lukewarm. I recall Jesus himself being angry and taking action when his father's house was violated, and then he cleansed the temple. John 2, 13 through 16 says, The Passover the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. 
making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple with the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. I was always taught this is what we call righteous anger. Well, it seems we're in the same place today, brothers and sisters. The only difference between then and now is what they're selling. Instead of selling cattle, sheep, and doves, today we see the selling of lies, confusion, and misdirection. It's time we take a stand and overturn some tables. Little country churches like ours across the nation mistakenly believe those lies, lack of accountability, and blasphemous words that they, they think they don't affect us, that we're somehow insulated from the fallout because we're a little church. But let me take you to some scripture that may surprise you. In 1 Samuel 2, 12 through 13, we read, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord or for the duties of the priests of the temple. We recall that Eli was a judge and a chief priest at this time, and his two sons were under his charge also priests. They were priests who had no regard for the Lord. The King James says it better here. I think it reads, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Sons of Belial. Some commentaries refer to Belial as Satan himself. One commentary said Belial is a demon. And it was written, the word means worthless in Hebrew, and later came to represent the personification of the devil. So the Bible saying that these two uh, children of Eli were sons of Belial. They were priests who knew not the Lord. They were priests who had no regard for the Lord. They were priests that personified the devil. Any of this ring a bell today? Eli and his sons were put in positions of influence over the people. They were to be the mediators, if you will, between God and man. They were in charge of the temple and all the sacrifices that God demanded at that time, but they abused that power and authority. Eli's sons misused their positions as priests and not only dishonored the people, but dishonored God himself. Verse 17 says, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. So here we have a high priest overseeing two other priests who were dishonoring God. Eli had authority over them and could have held them accountable, but instead he chose to lightly chastise them. And then only after he heard about their sexual immorality with the women who gathered at the entrance to the tabernacle. Verse 24, 24 tells us the actions of the priests made the Lord's people transgress. It made them sin. Now, I'm going to butcher these words, these names, but as priests, Hophni and Phinehas were consecrated to be holy representatives and upstanding teachers. In a sense, they belonged to the Lord. So these leaders, these trusted priests, caused the people of the land to sin. And because of that, God's favor was removed from all of them for a time. You've heard me say it before. Sin not only affects the sinners. Faithful Christians suffer from the fallout 
of false teachings or sinful behavior of other people. Now we go back to scripture, we eventually see God did step in and hold Eli and his sons accountable for their destructive sinful behavior. As a result of Eli's neglect, his neglect and not disciplining them and stopping them, the Lord said that Eli and his house would be cut off from his favor and that as a sign of the truth of the Lord's words, both sons would die on the same day. Well, this happened during a battle with the Philistines. We read this in 1 Samuel 4, 17 through 18. It says, the messenger replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great slaughter among the troops. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, our father's house is once again disrespected and violated by these false teachers ordained by bishops who, in my opinion, have no regard for the Lord. Paul was very concerned with the false teachers and false doctrines during this time. We hear his warning to the church and the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4. It reads, but I'm afraid that, as a serpent deceived Eve by its cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He continues in 2 Corinthians eleven twelve through 15 And what I do, I will also continue to do in order to deny an opportunity to those who want an opportunity to be recognized as our equals in what they boast about. For such boasters are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's not strange if his ministers also disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. Their end will match their deeds. Revelation 12.9 calls Satan the deceiver of the whole world. He never lets up in his efforts to use false ministers and others to mislead people. Outwardly, they may seem spiritual, but their message are counterfeits, maybe a mixture of truth and error, or lies. As Paul said, what they preach is actually another Jesus, in a different gospel. Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church was devoted to helping the members see the many things that were wrong with the attitudes and actions of those teachers, and the errors in their teachings. That my brothers and sisters, is what God has placed on my heart these past two weeks. Satan has effectively deceived not only the world, but even our very own ordained ministers into wanting to do things their own way, rather than through or in alignment with God's spoken word. And then they preach that garbage to people with itchy ears, condemning themselves to an eternity separated from our Creator. Paul describes the results of rejecting God in Romans 1, 28-32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind 
and to do things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of injustice, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious towards parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Yet they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Paul's words ring as true today as ever before. Our news and social media praise and condone sinful lifestyles and practices while condemning people who support biblical standards. And they call us narrow-minded bigots that we're just there to judge and condemn others. But Jesus foretold that some would claim his name but deny him by their actions. This includes ordained ministers. He said they would call me Lord, Lord, but not do the things which I say in Luke 6.46. Jesus and his apostles spoke of false prophets, false apostles, and false brethren. They warned that two opposing religions would emerge both claiming to be Christian. One, the actual church Jesus founded, would be led by the Holy Spirit and remain faithful to Christ's teachings. The other, guided and influenced by a completely different spirit, would accept the name of Christ, but twist his teachings to create a convincing counterfeit of the true church of God. The same thing the Antichrist will do in the end times, by the way. The apostles repeatedly warned Jesus' followers to beware of false teachers who would introduce counterfeit Christian beliefs. In Matthew 24, 4-5, Jesus himself warned, Take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name and will deceive many. Paul instructed Titus to carefully consider the background, knowledge, and character of anyone being considered for ordination. In Titus 1.9, Paul demands they hold tightly to the trustworthy word of the teaching so that he may be able both to exhort with sound instruction and to refute those who contradict it. Apparently, we don't hold that verse as a standard anymore. Paul gave his final instruction to the Romans and us in Romans 16, 17 through 19. He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to keep an eye on those who create dissensions and hindrances in opposition to the teaching that you have learned. Avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the simple-minded. For your obedience is known to all. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and guileless in what is evil. In Revelation 2.2, Christ praised the church in Ephesus for refusing to follow false apostles who tried to take advantage of their human nature and seduce them. It reads, I know your works, your toil, and your endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them to be false. 
We need to test those who claim to be ministers, brothers and sisters, myself included. Matthew 12, 33 says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. We are to test those who are in positions of authority to teach and minister by the written word and by their fruit. And once tested, if they're found to be outside of Christ's teaching, then we need to take a stand. We've sat idle for far too long. We need to remember the warning Jesus gave the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, 15 through 16. He said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That same warning applies to us today. I remind you of the advice in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. He said, For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound teaching, but having their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myth. I end this message with a call to prayer this week, a prayer that the lies will be exposed and the Spirit leads people to the truth, the only truth in Christ Jesus. And once we discover that truth, that the Spirit will guide us in making the decision to either remain or separate from those who are making blasphemous claims concerning the written word. I say again, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, there are so many false teachers and false prophets out there. We pray for forgiveness, Lord, for, for being in a denomination that allows that to happen. We renounce their teachings. We come against it. We hold true to your word, to your Bible, Father God. And we pray for forgiveness. We pray for hearts to be changed. We pray that they will see the light too. We pray for them, Father God. We pray for their souls. We pray for their salvation. And we pray for the strength to stand up when we're called to stand up. Not in the flesh, but through the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Since we all crave God's prosperity, abundance, and delight for ourselves, it's only right that we crave it for others as well. Our giving is a way we can partner with God in prospering others, selfishly enabling us to share in their happiness. We move to the offering, and thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless all of you that support this church and its ministries. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that you can satisfy our every desire and need. Your word says that we should give honor to you with the first fruits of our wealth. Accept our offerings as a gift of worship to you and multiply what we give for the effective growth of your kingdom. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Go out into the world in peace. Live as those who've already passed from death to life. Give aid and be willing to receive it. Trust and be trusted. Forgive and be forgiven. Give respect and be respected. Love and be willing to love. Now accept the benediction. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Until we meet again, brothers and sisters, may God bless and keep each and every one of you. Please stay safe. Please stay in his word. And please stay in prayer. Thank you all. God bless you.